Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church, and thank you so much for being here. Will you stand with me as we read through God's Word this morning? If you'd like to follow along with a reading and you need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one with you. Or if you know someone who needs a Bible, please take this one and give it to them. We'd love for you to have God's Word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Psalm, chapter 23, verse 1 through 6, and can be found on page 458 in that Bible. Follow along with me as I read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. God, like Jason just said, you are our hope. And uh, God, I pray that we would listen to the message that Jason has for us this morning, believing that and knowing that. And I pray that we would go out to the week uh, just living that way as well. God, we pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Hey, you guys can grab a seat. So I still remember when Carrie and I were praying through um, moving to Arizona from Oklahoma to start what has now become Grace Point Church. Uh, here at this location uh, where, where we're gathered at right now. And uh, we were Oklahomies, like that's where we're from. We have deep roots. Our family is all around the same uh, town. So like when we go back on holidays to visit everybody, it's good and it's bad. It's good because everybody lives within 10 miles of each other. And it's hard because everybody lives within 10 miles of each other. I don't know who, who knows what I'm talking about. So we were kind of that family, and it, would, it was surprising to me when I started to feel a tug on my heart to move out here to start the church. So I was leading a network called Mullins Baptist Association. We had a church planner that we had hired, and, and he moved out to Arizona to start what is called Valley Life Church, which is our sending church. We were planted out of Valley Life Church. And so there was a time that I was uh, leading uh, a church planter and leading that organization and flying out to Arizona and just seeing all the desert and all the brown. Like, I, you know, like, the, you remember the beginning of Wizard of Oz when everything's black and white? Like, before everything turns into color? Like, that, who knows what I'm, am I dating? Yeah, okay, yeah, good, good. Th- at least thanks for giving it to me. Uh, some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about, but, but he needs help. Um, anyway, but that's what Arizona looked like to me. There was a, I was like, why do people live here? I mean, I guess air conditioning. I didn't get it. And, uh, but each visit out here, I would start to get it. And I, I would start to like see the beauty of God's creation in the desert. The snoring desert looked pretty to me. And then like people started to, you know, you mattered to me. And then my heart started to be here. I'd go back home and my heart would stay here. And I remember Carrie was in our bedroom folding some laundry. And I went in there to ask her, like, do you think maybe the Lord would be causing us and stirring in us to move to Arizona to start a church? And she looked up at me and I expected her to say, Nope. But she, but she said, I think so. I think we should consider it. And I thought, whoa, that is the hand of God. Um, so, so that was my conversation with my wife. After we prayed through it, we felt like we were called to come here to start the church. 
we thought, okay, we're going to go tell our family. We don't need their permission, but we would love to have their blessing or at least let them know. Like, we don't want them to come see us in southwest Oklahoma, and we're not there anymore, you know. And so we sit down with my family, and they're kind of like, yeah, I figured. You know, I'm the oldest, and, uh, and I've always, I'm idealistic, and I've always, they said, you know, we just figured it'd be Spain or Australia or wherever. Right? At least it's just a couple states over. And, um, and we went and sat down with her parents. Now, she's the baby, you know. And, uh, and we married right out of high school and all that sort of stuff. And so I uh, sat down with my in-laws, and I didn't know how that was going to go. And my father-in-law paid me one of the greatest compliments I have ever received. I don't know if he remembers it. He doesn't have to. I do. And my wife was there, so she can vouch for this. But he looked at me, and he said, I can see that. I see God leading you to Arizona, and, and if you were my pastor, I would follow you all the way. I thought, man, God is parting the Red Sea in my life. Like, this is incredible. And so then I thought, well, I'm not going to tell anybody or go public and tell people who planted churches can, like, evaluate me and say that I should do that. We call that assessment. We try to assess a church planter's family, their theology, their missional uh, philosophy, all that sort of stuff. And I was assessed by two different groups. One was the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. The other one was the Southern Baptist Convention. Both of them gave me a green light. Well, I almost got a green light from the Southern Baptist. I did receive a little bit of feedback, and maybe some of you would appreciate this. But they did tell me that I should consider taking acting classes. I'm not even making this up. And I said, why is that? They said, well, you are a bit frank. And I said, well, I don't know who Frank is and, what you got and why you have a problem with him, but I guess there's this look. I turned into this Ron Swanson guy. When something I don't like is happening, I can't hide it, I guess. That's what they were talking about. Some of the staff would know exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about. But we passed assessment. So then we went to tell our church, the church that I pastored. I was nervous. I didn't know if they'd be like, well, go ahead and get out. Because I was going to tell them, like, you know, we won't leave for like three or four months if that's okay. And they were like, that's fine. We see this in your life. We knew you were going to tell us this one day. It's like, well, that's great. We raised over $100,000 in 30 days for the first year of the church plant. Everything was rocking and rolling. We moved here in January of 2014, and we launched the church on Easter Sunday, uh, April of, of 2014. You need to know that's insane. You're not supposed to do it that way, okay? And I'll tell you why here in a minute. But you're supposed to go about a year making friends, having genuine friendships, building relationships with people, leading people to Jesus that becomes a core team. Then you start a church. And so I was like, hit the ground running. And I was like, you seem okay. You seem okay. They thought I seemed okay. Let's get a church going really fast. So we launched a church with 150 people on Easter Sunday. There was nothing. Then there was 150 people. It was awesome. The only problem was 100 of them didn't come back. And summer hit in 2014. I was like, oh, wow, this is intense. And so, here, so then things take a turn. So 100 people didn't come back. We grew the church down to about 40 or 50 people. And it wasn't a room like this. It was a big old cafeteria or a big gym in an elementary school. And so we felt every bit of the space. Uh, we, were, we were entering our first Christmas season. And if you know Grace Point Church, Christmas Eve's a big deal around here. We've got a lot of Christmas plants coming up. You're going to find out more and more about it as we get closer to Thanksgiving. We at least need to do Thanksgiving. And then, and then we'll probably do some Christmas tree stuff around here. But we, have a, we do a big thing on Christmas Eve, so we're gearing up for our first Christmas Eve service, and we get the phone call that my mother-in-law has unexpectedly uh, fallen ill her cancer that we thought was gone has come back, and she passes away. Completely devastated us, completely blindsided by that. So now we're starting to wonder, like, what does that mean? 
What does that mean for us? And so we had, uh, you know, we moved to Surprise, and everyone's like, was it a surprise? <laughs> you, know, you know, like you haven't heard that before. And some of y'all are like, well, I'm in Sun City, so I don't have to deal with it. Well, that's fine. When you cross Bell Road, you do. And so here we are. So uh, we did have a surprise fifth child, which that was awesome. That wasn't a bad thing. But uh, just a few days after we had our fifth baby, my landlord calls. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And he goes, hey, I need to talk to you about the house. I'm like, well, that's great. Let's talk. Uh, And uh, I said, what's up? He goes, well, I'm I'm wanting to sell the house. I said, well, I would like to buy the house. He goes, well, I can't do that. I said, why? He said, I've already sold the house. I said, oh, okay. And he's like, you think you could get out soon? I was like, you want to come over and see me? (laughs) Help me? (laughs) No, I can't get out. So we ended up getting out of the house and uh, being homeless there for a little bit, not like, you know, destitute and on the street, but like staying with friends and they had a big family and we had a big family. So we ended up going to Oklahoma for vacation, like emergency vacation to give them space and then bought a house like over the phone. It was, it was a different time, uh, in 2015. But then, um, after we got a house, we kind of got settled in one by one of the core team we started the church with would come to me and say, you know, this just isn't the church that we thought it would be. Now all I could think was, well, bless your heart, you know? And, and one by one, they would leave, and, uh, and I just realized, man, man, uh, this is hard, and where are you, God? And like, where? 2014 was awesome, you know, or, you know, th- 13 was awesome. What is going on in 2015? And I was haunted by this advice. Somebody gave me this advice, and I cared deeply about what they think, and they were just wrong, but I lived as if it was true for a while, and they told me this. And you may have received this before, and you may have said this before, but they told me that if God is in this, it'll be a great success. But if God's not in it, you'll fall flat on your face. Who's received words like that? Man, don't tell people that. That hurts. So you, you kind of live your life thinking maybe if, God, if God's hand is on this, there won't be adversity, it'll be easy, my relationships won't break, but I'm telling you like the world is broken and the Lord will lead us in places where the shadow of death is cast across our trail. It reminds me of a chapter in Hebrews, and we went through Hebrews about a year ago, but in Hebrews 11, it's called the great roll call of faith. If you want to learn some Old Testament stuff and you're not real familiar with Old Testament, read Hebrews chapter 11 and start doing some character studies on the people that they reference. It'd be a good way to get familiar with, uh, the, old, with the first five books of the Bible through the lens of the New Testament. But in the first half of chapter 11, it talks about, you know, uh, these people did great things by faith in the name of the Lord. They led armies to flight. They were victorious over battle. They closed uh, closed the mouths of lions, like all these miraculous things. And then there's this, uh, this segue or this transition in Hebrews 11, and it says, and some were sawn in half, and some lost their children. You know, some lost their lives. Some were imprisoned. Some were enslaved. Some were destitute all by faith. And you realize like success isn't really the goal and success itself isn't really the evidence that God is with you. And, and really, uh, you could take that the other way and you could invert that to say suffering and hardship and poverty, that's really the hand of God. And both of those miss the mark. See, this isn't really like a prosperity thing or a uh, poverty thing. It's a presence of Jesus thing. And Jesus will lead you through poverty. He'll lead you through prosperity. You'll experience both as you follow him. And I hope today we'll give you a category for suffering or adversity in your life. If some of you were like me for a while and thinking, if God is for this, why is it so hard? And, and, and it's probably so hard because God is for it. That's probably why. 
So we've been taking a verse a week in the 23rd Psalm, and we're in week number four, verse number four. So look with me here. I'll read it, and then I got some stuff to rant about it, okay? Uh, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, David is writing this. He probably wrote this song when he was a teenager as a shepherd out in the pastures. And he's writing this saying, he's a sheep and Jesus is the shepherd. Okay, that's his perspective. That's the metaphor in this song. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear evil because you're with me. Last week, he said that Jesus will lead us through paths of righteousness. As he leads us through paths of righteousness and we follow him, he'll lead us through the low country. See, I'm more familiar with cattle and horses and even some hogs and stuff like that, rattlesnakes even. I know very little about sheep. So I've got some commentaries with studying on this. And so here's something that shepherds would do. During the winter, they would headquarter back at the home place where you you could build a fire and you're out of the elements and all that. And as spring would come, you would start to leave out. You would leave headquarters and you'd go out into the country and you would have different grazing spots and you would just be familiar with the land and you would just stay with the sheep all year long and, and you would go through the low country where the water flows and the grass is green and you would get to the high country and so then as uh, winter would come back in the high countries where the snow would come and the grass would die and it would drive you back down to lower ground. And so a couple times of the year, you would, you would spend time in the low country, in the valleys. And in the valleys, there's, there's both green grass and flowing good water. Or there's refreshment there, but there's also danger there. There's fret there. There's enemies there because that's where the shadows are and the canyons are. And that's where predators can hide and bandits can hide to jump the shepherd and steal the sheep and all of those sorts of things. And so when David writes through this, he's saying, even though I I walk through that, I won't be afraid because Jesus is with me. And you need to have a category for both of these shadows. There's the shadow of everlasting life. So we pray for people who get just, I had a couple in the 9 a.m. service come up to me and I'd never met them before. They're brand new to Grace Point. And they said, will you pray, uh, pray for my wife? She's 38 weeks. She's ready to have a baby. And I said, well, how can I pray? She said that I have a baby very soon. You know, it's like, well, I can pray. So we ask God for a healthy mama and a healthy baby and a dad that's not too tired to work second and third shift, you know, when he comes home. And so that's what we prayed. I had a friend came in my office here a while back, people that I just deeply care about and had health issues and said, can we ask you to pray? Yes, I want to pray. So we asked the Lord to move and because the Bible says sometimes you don't have stuff because you don't ask for it. And so we want to ask God to heal and to mend and to restore. And when he does, it's a foretaste of what's going to come. It's a foretaste of eternal life. It's a foretaste of the sky ripping apart and Jesus bringing the kingdom to earth and we'll live with no more death, no more expanding waistlines, no more failing eyesight, no more receding hairlines. It's going to be awesome. Okay, and You won't have to crossfit to get it. It's going to be good. So in the meantime, so, so that's a shadow of the substance of Jesus, but we're going to have to go through death. Death is inescapable. When I was a younger pastor, I would say things like death for the believer is our friend because only on the other side of death would we experience eternal life. But it's just not true. Death is still our enemy. It's evil. It's our foe. It's the remnants and the leftovers of the curse when our first parents were deceived by Satan. They believed a satanic lie that they wouldn't truly die if they disobeyed God. But they did. Death enters the world. So we go through death, the low country of death to get to the high country of everlasting life. 
And so when we find out there's cancer, when we have an untimely death, when suffering comes into our life, it reminds us like, oh yeah, I'm not home. I'm in exile and things are not as they're supposed to be. It doesn't matter, you know, like it's, it, it gets in my marriage. It gets in the relationship with my kids. It gets into my church. It gets into my business. It gets into my head. It gets into the way I relate with people. Like we're stained by sin and we're cursed by death and we're going to have to go through death, but it will be fine because Jesus will be with us. And so death casts this shadow and whenever the, the economy is broken, when government is broken, whenever your body starts to fail, when you can't see as well anymore, when there's a knot and you wonder if it's malignant or benign, all of this is reminding us that death is certain. Things are broken. The world is not as it's supposed to be and it will be when Christ comes. So we're going to go through the low. We're going to go through the crappy. There's happy and crappy that happens to Christians. I know some of you thought that you would become a Christian and only good things would happen to you now. But if you read about Jesus, a lot of bad things happened to Jesus so that he could make a church. And if we're to be like Jesus, then we will experience the things that Jesus has experienced. So, But I have three things for you if you find yourself in the crappy. If you're down in the low country and you're going through the shadows and death shadow is cast across your path, here are three perspectives that I want to give to you. Number one is this. Christ is our comfort. I think you go, yeah, preacher, but not our circumstances. Christ is our comfort, not our circumstance. So what, what do I mean by that? Oftentimes when we find ourselves in the crappy or in the low, our prayers consist of God, get me out of the low and put me back on high country. God, get me out of this circumstance. Get me out of this situation. And we should pray those things. I'm for that. I'm not against that. God says pray, ask for it. I want to give you the desires of your heart. But don't miss that God has sent this into your life. Like he's ordained that this can happen to you. And it's supposed to be used for your good and for his glory. And so what this means is we need a perspective. Not only should we ask God to change our circumstances, but we should ask God how he's using this circumstance to change me. You're with me, Lord. You're present with me. What are you doing in my life to change me? Because in this moment and in this uh, circumstance is where the green grass and the water actually is. Oftentimes we can't see it. We can't see the presence of Christ because all we can see is the pain. And we, we're prone to think, man, the pain needs to go away. But sometimes pain is progress. And we need to know that pain is the plan, that Jesus will lead us through pain for his glory and for our good. So Christ is meant to be our comfort, not a change of circumstances, okay? Let that inform how you pray. Number two is this. You don't really get over it. You go through it. I've had people, untimely deaths, parents lose their, their kids. You know, the loss of a spouse. I can't imagine these things. Just getting familiar with what it's like to lose parents and, and grandparents. But man, there's... there's devastating circumstances that have happened to you, that have happened to me. And I don't open the sermon with my woes to make you feel bad for me. I'm just saying you can relate because you're alive. And if you've lived long enough, you're going to go through low times. And when we do, the idea is not to just get over it. It's that we must go through it. And so the reason I say that is to say that we don't need to try to make light of the pain and shrug it off like it's no big deal. If something is devastating, it's devastating. If something causes trauma, it causes trauma. And the idea is not to get over it or act like it didn't happen, but it's to know that Jesus is with me so that we can get through it. Some of the darkest days of my life, I was able to not get over but get through because people who loved me well were able to show up and just be there. 
I know sometimes people will be like, hey, JV, you need to know, like, this person's going through it. You need to go see them. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know. I, sometimes I feel more like a bulldog. You, like, want to send me in the arena to go argue with people. Like, I'm good with ideas and words and sermons. But sometimes in the moment, I don't know what to say. So I just shut up and put my arm around people and be quiet. It's called the ministry of presence. Where do we get the idea of the ministry of presence? We get it from Jesus because he's promising to be with us whenever we need his presence because he's our comfort. So how do we get through things like adultery that happened in our marriage? How do we get through things like death or divorce or just these terrible circumstances? We get through them because Jesus is with us. He promises to be with us, especially when it's slow. I don't know if you guys know who John Madden is. Maybe not. Some of you will. But John Madden would not fly in an airplane. He would only ride on a bus because he said in the Bible, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. <laughs> That's a true story. You can Google that one. The third thing that I would say about suffering or adversity is that suffering is the road to our higher ground. You have to go through a valley to get to the higher country. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Use that theology. Use your Greek Use your Hebrew. Use your Aramaic. Use that ESV study Bible that you have. Use that stuff that you've been studying. And then do it. Do what it says. We are a sovereignty of God people. I believe that God is sovereign over the government. He's sovereign over the church. He's sovereign over salvation. He's sovereign over the weather. That doesn't mean that... Um, only good things will happen to God's people, but it means that all things that happen to God's people will be used for our good. We're so He's sovereign. We're not sovereign. He's sovereign. And we embrace that theology. We embrace the idea of predestination because it's in the Bible that those he called, he also foreknew, and those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God has a predetermined plan for your life. It will involve the happy and the crappy. Both of those things. And so here's how you use it. When you look forward down the path and you see the shadow of death cast across, I want you to turn around and look back where you've been. Not unlike the sheep who have been led away from the headquarters and they're being brought to the headquarters and they can remember like, oh yeah, my shepherd's awesome. He whooped that mountain lion one time. It was awesome. One time these bandits come out, but he went like Liam Neeson on them. This was crazy. Like, that's, our, that's my shepherd. It's Jesus. And so there's, um, I can't remember if it's Elijah or Elisha. It was either Elijah with his servant Elisha or Elisha with his servant, and I can't remember the guy's name. But they were surrounded by this military force. And, and the prophet, was he could see both realms. Like, we live in one world, two dimensions, two realms. I know you're like, are you about to get History Channel on this, Pastor? A little bit. So God made the natural and the supernatural. You and I can't see the super. Maybe you can. If you can, that's, that's wild, but I can't, okay? How about that? So, um, so the, serv the, the prophet can see that the, we're about to be arrested. Maybe we'll lose our lives. We don't know how this is going to go. But surrounding the military force was legions of angels watching what was happening. And so the, the prophet prayed for his servant to have the perspective that he had. And his servant opened his eyes and he's like, oh, we'll be fine. Like even in death, we'll be fine. Whatever happens is, is going to be okay. We're going to go through it because Jesus is with us. The presence of God is with us. So even if it's death, we'll go through it to higher ground to get eternal life. This is what Christ has done. He went through the valley of death. He went through the enduring the cross to get to be raised from the dead so he could give eternal life away to anybody he wants to give it to. 
And so the way that we use this perspective is we can look back in our past and see when we were low and when things didn't look like they were going to be okay and we couldn't understand how this was going to work out, God worked. At the time, it felt like coincidence, but we know better. We have theology, right? We call it providence. It's in the Bible. We look back and we see how God's hand was on our life the whole time. And so we use that because we can't figure out, here is where predestination gets weird and don't do this. That's when you start get, figuring out like, this is what God is going to do for me and this, you, you're not saved. You'll be, you can't be saved. You're saved because you vote like me or whatever. Don't do that. That's weird. Use it to know that God has a plan and part of his plan is for me to share the gospel with all these people and they'll get saved if I share the gospel. And also part of the plan is to know that he's with me so no matter what the doctor tells me tomorrow, God is with me. No matter what rejection I face tomorrow, God is with me. No matter what the stock market does, God is with me. And he is my comfort, not my circumstances. In other words, it can be falling apart around me, but I can be okay only because of the presence of Jesus. And so higher ground will give you that perspective. When you get to higher ground, you can look back and see how God used all of that adversity for Romans 8.28 to be true in your life, that God uses all things for our... For God will use everything in your life for, hit, for your... <laughs> God works all things together for the good of His people. That's what I'm trying to say. And we want it to say God only does good things for His people. But the Bible says all things. So that's happy, that's crappy. And then um, they'll probably just cut that and put, made that sound bite. Uh, they've done it before. i got to watch them. Thank you. Uh, then he says, David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I didn't understand that shepherds had two different weapons or two different you know, uh, tools. I thought it was just one, but your rod and your staff. So the rod is this smaller wooden stick. But don't sleep on this stick because a shepherd who knows his business, he's like, is it Donatello? Is that the Ninja Turtle with the staff? Like, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, last, anyway, we don't have time for that. But, um, but a shepherd uses this rod as a piece of authority. And when the sheep see that that guy has the rod in his hand, they're like, okay, I'm safe because he's here. Now, I don't know about you, but like guns don't make me nervous. Guns in people's hands make me nervous, you know, like Barney Fife or Andy Griffith. I'd rather Andy have it than Barney. Like I, and see, now, now y'all act like you know what I'm talking about. But here's where I'm at. I'm okay with authority. I'm okay with people being in charge. I'm okay with people telling me what to do, so long as they have the credentials to do so, you know? I want the good guys to have the guns. I want the good guys to have the authority. And God is good. He has the authority. He, Jesus has the rod in his hand, and he's going to use it to, for these three things in our life, to protect us, to correct us, and to inspect us. So when David wrote about the rod, here's what he envisioned. He had seen and he had used a rod to protect the sheep from predators. So what they could use that rod for is they could throw that sucker and lunge that sucker and you could use it to hit a coyote or hit a wolf or whatever it is or, and scare them away or just get over there, beat them off of the sheep, you know? And so the sheep would see like, yeah, my shepherd can handle his business. And that's the way I see Jesus. I know some of y'all see Jesus with ferret faucet hair and looking off into the heavens. I see Jesus like a UFC fighter. Like he whooped Paul's tail one time and Paul's like, I, I will follow you, you know? I will follow you. 
but he uses it to protect and drive away predators. He uses it to correct the sheep. If the sheep wander to where there's death or a cliff, he'll throw that rod and that rod will scatter or you know, scare the sheep because he knows he's seen the shepherd use that rod before and he returns back to the, the sheep, gets out of trouble. And he'll also use that rod to inspect the sheep. They have very sensitive skin and they could get diseases or parasites and he would just run it over their, their body and, and move the wool around and to just inspect them. And so this is not unlike God's word. This is totally a metaphor for God's word. Jesus is the voice of God. He speaks with the authority of God. It's Jesus who spoke the universe into existence is what John's gospel tells us. And Christ's words are recorded, Holy Spirit inspired throughout his word and we have the word of God. Some of you wonder, I wonder what God's will is for my life. You can know if you read this book. It's in here. It'll tell us what we should do, how we should live, what we should believe, how we should behave, all of those things. And so it's God's word that protects us by driving out demonic lies, things that we're prone to believe that just aren't true. It can drive out predatory thoughts by combating them with the truth. Okay? And so what can this look like? So we just ended Halloween. And I don't know how many of you, who likes scary movies? It's okay, it's a safe place. I like scary movies. They don't scare me. I think they're ridiculous. Because I don't think the demonic is, is like Michael Myers showing up. You know, yee, I, I really think if Michael Myers shows up and you shot that guy, he's not coming back to life. That's what I believe. So I'm not scared. I think the, the most, and by the way, isn't it kind of weird like to watch scary movies after Halloween? Like if you're that person, like what are you doing tonight? I'm just gonna, you know, binge watch Halloween. Like, guys got problems, you know? But October, it's cool. After October, it's like, no, Christmas. Anyways, sorry. But here's what demonic lies look like. Demonic lies show up just like it did for our first parents. The satanic thing they believed was when Satan said, did God really say you'd die if you did this? The answer is yes, he did. You want voices in your life that say God's word says, not voices that say, did God's word really say? And so what we do is we start to question and wonder. And so here's, here's, here's a demonic lie we can believe. Theology will work against us when we go, God is sovereign and bad things are happening to me. I, don't, I can't reconcile that because I don't have a theology for bad things happening to me. So that has to mean one of a couple of things. Either God is in control, but he's not very good, or God is good, but he doesn't have much control. So that both, so God is good and he's in control. Okay, then what's wrong with me? I must have some secret sin or something deeply flawed in my life. God doesn't love me like he loves other people. So we'll either question the goodness and character of God or we'll question like, I have less dignity, I have less salvation, I have less than other people have. And both of those are flawed. And Satan would love for you to believe both of those narratives. The reality is that God is in control, God is good, and He's for you, and He promises in Romans 8, 28 that all things will work together for your good. I got it that time. That works together for your good. The happy, the crappy will be redeemed and used for God's glory and for your good. So God's Word drives out demonic predatory thoughts by combating them with truth. God's Word exposes our sin. We will run to things that will kill us. We are like two-year-olds you know, spiritually, like, or, or heck, just, <laughs> we're still like that. We just want things because they taste good, they feel good, they, they're, they're, it's pleasurable, whatever, we want it, and it'll bring death into our life. And maybe literal physical death, maybe the death of relationships or the death of a job or death of who knows what, sin kills every time. 
And it's God's word that exposes our sin, not for us to live in perpetual guilt, but for us to be able to name our sin and turn from our sin and live in the life-giving boundaries of God's word. God's word will speak to how we use sex and money and influence and power and all sorts of things. There's a way to engage in life that leads to human flourishing and rolls up into the worship of God. And it's God's word that exposes that. And then finally, how does God's word inspect us? Well, God's word will affirm or expose our salvation. And you might be used to using God's word to inspect other people, but I would encourage you to use God's word to inspect yourself. It's God's word that tells us what the gospel is. And the only way that we're going to become Christians and be with God is by believing the gospel. So what is the gospel? The life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That we have broken commandments, we have believed satanic lies that we will not surely die if we use sex however we want, covet what our neighbor has, tell lies, whatever. Like We, we just break commandments. We're, we're good at it. We break commandments. We do all the sinning. Jesus kept the commandments, and he does all the saving. So the gospel is the good news that by faith we trust in the life of Jesus for our righteousness. We trust in the death of Jesus for our forgiveness, and we trust in the resurrection of Jesus for our ultimate hope. And so we're not trying to level ourselves up to become better versions of ourselves to get God to love us because he loves us through Jesus and we live from his work, not our own. And we don't have to hang our head in guilt and shame constantly because Christ paid in full for sin. We believe that that it's paid in full, that there was a great uh, exchange that took place, that Jesus took all the bad from us and gave us all the good in him and then he raised from the dead, leaving our guilt and our shame in the tomb with sin and shame and evil and death. And he has been victorious. He has defeated death through the resurrection. And we share in his resurrection. And so it's good to look in our lives and say, hey, am I trusting in being dumb and now I'm a theologian and that's what I'm going to use? Was I bad and now I'm moral? Or was I like, uh, you know, a loser and now I manage a Chick-fil-A? Like, what, what am I leaning on to say that I'm one of the good guys? Well, it needs to be the work of Jesus, You just trust in the work of Jesus by faith. So God's word exposes that about about us, that we either need salvation or that we have salvation. And then the staff. The staff is a little different. The staff is made, and it has that that thing in it. I don't know what to call it, the the thing in it. And the shepherd will use it to pick up a, what do you call a baby sheep? I don't know, baby sheep, that's what we'll call it. He'll pick up the baby sheep, and he'll take it over to the baby mama. And drop the baby sheep off with the baby mama to not get his scent all over the, the lamb, the, the baby lamb, baby sheep. And I don't know if, you, if that brings back any memories, but that brings back memories of me getting into bird's nest and my nanny telling me, get out of there, you're going to kill them. And I, th- I remember thinking, she thinks I'm just going to like go in there and <laughs> go ham on these birds. But what she was trying to tell me is you're going to get your scent all over them and the mom won't come back. And so I guess sheep are that away, and the shepherd will use it to gently move the, the lambs around, and he'll get in there with the herd and move them around gently because obviously you don't want to hurt them because you want to be able to sell them and make money off of them or eat them or, or whatever he's going to do with them. Um, that's where it gets weird, isn't it? That's where it's weird that Jesus calls a sheep. So anyway, you didn't need that. Uh, so authority and compassion. The rod is for protection, correction, and inspection, and the staff is for compassion. And so, not unlike the Holy Spirit connecting our hearts by faith to the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus, showing compassion on us, 
Okay? Jesus didn't come to conquer us. He came to give compassion to us, to make us his church. And the Holy Spirit convicting us when we want to go our very own way. That's a sign of love. And so the way that you experience compassion, I want you to know like in a sermon, if you're one of God's people, so like if you're, if you're a wolf, if you are here to deceive people, if you're here to pretend like you're one thing, but you're really another thing, and you're trying to gain power or control or whatever, like it's my job and Pastor Rob's job to take the rod and throw it at you as hard as we can. And I hope we hit you right in the middle of the forehead and you never come back. I'm dead serious. Unless you would repent and want to worship Jesus. That's what Paul wrote the whole book of Galatians about. Like, I'm not going to literally assault you, but I will use, yeah, I mean, who knows? We never know. It's a crazy world, you know? Don't try it. Don't try it. Anyway, but our work is that of compassion. So we're going to break open God's word. We're going to say things that might be uncomfortable and things we don't all want to hear, and it's going to put us all on blast. And some, I don't know how you relate to it, but sometimes like whenever I listen to preaching or someone speaks into my life and they expose sin, I get mad. I I don't know if that surprises you, but I'm like, who are you? Tell me what to do. Like you can't even hit all your belt loops. Like your belt goes over the loop. It goes under the loop and your shoes don't even match your clothes. I don't understand. Why would God use you to speak in? in, uh, Then I'll go tell Carrie, can you believe what Rob said to me? He ain't here, so I'll use him. And she'll be like, Yeah. Yeah, I see it. I saw it yesterday. Well, y'all, you guys all, you're, it's a conspiracy. If God wants me to change, he'll change me. He will. Generally what happens, I'm pouring coffee the next morning and I realize, golly, they're all right. They're right. You need to, you need to change. You need to change. So like when you come to church and sometimes you leave like, man, I don't feel very good. I kind of feel like I got chewed out. I hope you don't think, man, Jason, he got on. I don't know. Don't shoot the messenger. I didn't write it. I just deliver it. But that is a reaction. That is the compassion of God. That is the sign that there is a father in heaven who loves you enough to say, you're running for things that want to kill you. You're being deceived by things that want to lead you to death, just like Satan did our first parents. If you can sit there and feel nothing, or if you can only sit there and use this sermon for other people's sins and you know, other people's lives, like let that be woeful to you. And maybe that just means you're not paying attention. I don't know how to best utilize this, but when you engage in God's word, whenever God gets in your business, that's a sign of his staff and compassion leading you back to the fold. So let me recap a little bit here. Rather than only asking God to change your circumstances, also ask God, how are you using this circumstance to change me? I want you to consider that Jesus was betrayed by his friend. He was abandoned by the rest of his friends in the garden. He was falsely accused of blasphemy. He was a victim of injustice. He was murdered physically and spiritually received the wrath of God against sinful man. And three days later, he raised from the dead. And he promises to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death and into the high ground of eternal life. Let's pray.